guys, welcome back to Talking Rad, the podcast with the Radcats, and uh, I think this is episode 7, and uh, we've got a very special guest here on the show today that uh, we're, we've been promising you guys for a while, and he's finally been able to to meet with us, so uh, yeah. Thane, introductions? Uh, this is uh, Dr. Glenn Page, uh, and um, he... I guess he's, are you retired or? Yeah, semi-retired. Semi-retired, yeah. So he's a semi-retired doctor and um, he's been working, uh, he was working as a doctor for how many years? Like This is my 37th. 37 years. I think it's a long time. That is a very, very yeah. long time. So what, what made you like want to go into medicine, like go into the medical field? Well, that... That is, I've asked that question numerous times, especially over the, the years, because uh, it's been very difficult at times. But I think probably the thing I looked at first is I was going to counsel people, and I, so as I went to college, my direction changed. I saw other things I'd like to do, and, and I decided to pursue a medical career. Unfortunately, I didn't have anybody to uh, follow in suit because none of my family went into medicine. Uh, but I was fortunate to be able to do well and, and have been happy since. So is it like a hard process going through the whole um, transition, like going into medicine? Like, obviously, I know there's tons of schooling that has to go with it, and you have to actually apply to medical schools. So, I mean, you have to travel as, as far as I know. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. It, it's very challenging. It's, uh, the time when I was applying, uh, there was, there was a very, very competitive time to enter medical school. Uh, as I, I remember interviewing for a number of colleges, and everybody had their own criteria as far as accepting you into medical school. But some schools, one out of 200 would only, 200 applicant, applicants would be able to get in to their school. The school I finally graduated from was the University of Arizona. And it, it took me three different times of applying to finally get into their medical school because only accepted one out of eight applicants at the time. So it was very, very, very challenging. It was very, very competitive. There was only one grade that you could get, and that was an A. You couldn't afford to get a B or a C, definitely a D or an F would put you out of contention altogether. Very competitive. So is it still as competitive back then as it is today, or is it worse? I don't think it's quite as competitive. Uh, it, um, it is not as appealing uh, profession to to pursue as it was back then. We have so much regulation in medicine anymore that it's not appealing to the younger generation to to enter medicine. So I I think that's like a side of of medicine that most people don't realize is like the rules and regulations. I mean you're dealing with I mean I've heard from multiple different people that actually work in medicine as far as doctors and nurses that there's a whole different side to you know, working in the medical field than just helping people. And there's the whole government side. You have to deal with insurances, money. Like, how 
how big of a an influence or a hand does the the government and insurances play a part in medicine you will not talk to one physician out there who would not tell you that the most difficult part of medicine is nowhere close to seeing the patients the most difficult part about medica- medicine going into the field of medicine is dealing with the government and their regulations dealing with insurance companies and their regulations dealing with hospital administrations and their regulations it's we're over so over regulated that it really affects our ability to practice what we've learned to practice and that's medicine for our patients so if somebody shows up like let's say that uh, a widowed mother shows up with her child and she doesn't have insurance like she couldn't even afford it it's like she's on welfare or whatever like what if somebody like that shows up and there's no way that they could ever pay this this medical bill but let's say that child's dying like what would you guys do in that situation would you just say no or if you were an independent physician and did not work for a hospital or some kind of organization you may have the ability to give free care but if you worked for somebody they may have regulations where they state you're not allowed to get free care. And so consequently, it really depends on the situation you're in. So would you just let that person die? or There's a, If they're in the hospital or they're in the emergency room, they have to take care of the patients. They would not let them die. But if you wanted to give somebody free care or if you wanted to buy them medicine because they couldn't afford it, Certain organizations, certain hospitals would not allow their physicians to do those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's, it's depends on the situation. Uh, um, but that, uh, that is just one of many things that you would encounter um, that you may not agree with that you have to comply with. So it's like either do that or get fired pretty much? or uh, you, you do that or get reprimanded at least. I thought, well, I don't know. That's just like coming from like a, just a humane standpoint. Like if somebody needs your help and they can't afford to, you know, if, if someone's like dying or they're super sick and they come to you in need of help, like, I mean, I feel like that's just like the, the humane thing to do is you just help them. It is the humane thing to do, and the majority of physicians would do it anyway and pay the consequences because they're more concerned about the patient than the mandates or rules coming from other organizations. So you're right. They, they would be taken care of because that's what we were trained to do, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Well, I, I know that, I, I mean, I've seen in other cities and places that I've been where they're like, if you don't have insurance, it even says, if you don't have insurance, we won't even deal with you, which I think is like silly. It's like, come on, like if, if people need your help and you are trained in that, you know, whatever it is, you should, I don't know. I just, I guess that's where I disagree with whoever's running the whole medical field is, is that like, why, why would, when does money become more important than somebody's life like if you think about it i mean i i'm i've heard this before i'm sure you guys have it's like you can take the richest man alive 
and as soon as you put that man's life at risk, he'll give you he'll give you every cent that he has to save his life. Like, which I mean, I agree. Well, like that's the I guess the moral question you need to ask is when does money become more important than an individual's existence of their life? Well, the majority of physicians that take care of patients really don't focus if if it's a life situation life or death situation they do not focus on the finances they really do focus you'll always in all professions find some that are greedy selfish do things for gain but the majority of the physicians i have met are not that way they they do have to make a living that's true and it seems like they charge a lot and it, that's true too uh, but the cost of medical care has is outstanding it's it's enormous to the point that we're not even sure as physicians how people can afford medical care period but if somebody comes in with a sick child someone comes in and has no way of paying for it they've lost their job they've had to move there's been a death or a divorce or some other factor take place you have to look at the situation and as physicians we'd like to see the the mandates changed we'd like to see us have more control once again like we had years ago the only way that's going to happen is not through us the only way it's going to change is from the people the people have to mandate those in control that the care needs to the quality care and the care given to the patients need to be given back to the health care providers that's the only way to solve this problem is coming from the the people themselves yeah i completely agree i mean it's like you don't go ask somebody who knows a lot about cars how to you know fix computers like i i heard a story there was a, a nurse that i'm friends with and she was saying that she had to deal a lot with uh, insurance companies would call and they said a lot of the times the people that were calling from the insurance companies asking about you know a specific patient or specific drugs that um, the insurance is going to pay for they had no idea and it's like you know these insurance companies and the governments that are running the medical field i would say like seven out of ten times have no idea what they're even talking about they don't even care they just are trying to make sure that their backs covered so they can make money xyz and i just think that's stupid like i completely agree give the power back where it needs to be with those who are actually on you know out there in the rooms out there in the hospitals actually helping these people they can see what they're going through you know if somebody comes in with a busted head and they need x y and z drug you know why should the insurance companies have to i don't know get their hands in there and make sure that oh instead of giving them this $500 drug give them this $50 drug because it's it'll it'll do it's okay like how come I don't know I always thought that was stupid too how can you give people the semi good drugs instead of just prescribing them like the very best many times you'll talk to the insurance companies trying to get something approved uh, it is very very common for us to have to use inferior drugs uh, just because of the cost and their contention is we're not stopping them from using the more efficient medication they can buy it themselves and we get told that all the time it's their choice to use it 
But what they fail to realize is medicine is so expensive anymore that people cannot afford it unless they have insurance that will pay for it. So consequently, people always choose the inferior drugs because they can't afford the more expensive ones. This happens every day in medical practice. So the like specific companies that create these drugs that are charging a fortune, like does it does it really cost that much money to make these these pills or these pain medications or, you know, anesthesia or whatever the drugs you guys are using? Is it really that expensive to make or? People can get the, the medicines a lot. They're a lot less expensive in Mexico. Definitely, if you you can get them through the Canadian online pharmacies, they're a lot less expensive in Canada. You go to Australia, England, Germany, New Zealand, Japan, their medicines are all more reasonable price than here in in uh, the United States. The pharmaceutical companies have such powerful lobbies in government that they pretty much mandate what what they want to do and they get away with it see i don't know i just i think it does like you're saying it needs to change you know if, if somebody wanted to to in a sense take over the world all they would have to do is start some huge epidemic where everybody's sick and everybody needs like and let's say that company that started the epidemic you know terrorists or whoever some corrupt person starts this epidemic but they have the cure or they have the the immunity, the inject, the vaccine for it or whatever, all they'd have to do is create that vaccine, create the disease, and they have the whole world at their hands, you know? Yeah. Insurance companies aren't going to pay for all that stuff. Yeah, uh, a similar thing happened with uh, Martin Shkreli when um, he had that pharmaceutical, he bought that drug for AIDS and, like, jacked up the price, like, to, like, 4,000%. Yeah, uh, since he was part of a pharmaceutical company. Uh, I later found out his reasons uh, that he like tried to make the drug better, so he made it higher price. But uh, his tactics weren't very well received in the public eye. I don't really get how like uh, you make a drug so um, insanely priced. Like I think it was like seven hundred dollars a pill. Uh, that. It would help research because that's where pharmaceutical companies have to come in to research drugs better so they're more effective at, like, what they're supposed to cure. Uh, I don't know. I just, uh, over the years, like, since I've, I've studied medicine, and, I mean, I definitely have not been anywhere near where you have been in it, but I just feel like it's so, so corrupt. There's so much money that's dumped into it by governments, by our tax dollars, like, like cancer research, for example, you know, cancer has been around for what, forever, a long time. And I feel like there's billions of dollars dumped into cancer research and there's still nothing. There's absolutely not. What are they doing with with the money? You know, and I'm, I'm not saying that they're not out there trying to actually do research. But I mean, what what a great scam if they are lying that, you know, hey, let's I don't know. I just. I don't know. I guess I'm so fed up with like the medicine and how it's just become a money game. It's like, come on, when I don't know. That's the, honestly the overlying question. When does money become more important than a life? You know, why do we need to charge so much money for all this stuff that people need to live? You know, 
Well, it's not just in medicine that you see this. And that's why I have such great faith in you young people. Is because one of the things I've noted with the millennials, the ones that just are just new to this situation, is they're thinkers. They dream. They're independent. They make their own decisions. And a lot of things that the government mandates to them, they ignore. Uh, a lot of the things where we've been told, get this education or you'll have consequences, they ignore. I like to hope and dream that someday they will figure out a way to change the direction of medicine, for example. I'd like them to change the direction of, of uh, food, food for the world. I like to see them change the direction of hopefully for free energy for all people throughout the world. I like them to see not only do something better for medicine, but maybe even cure diseases better. Find better ways to make the cost less effective. Find better ways where we can teach people how to heal themselves and not so dependent on the medical community. I have a lot of belief and faith that you and all your compatriots out there will do this. I have hope and dreams that someday things will change to the point that we have a way better world than we have now. That the military war complex that hides various things that have been created to grow food and create energy will be done away with. That the complexity of the government we made simpler. Uh, I hope I will be dead, but I hope that you will carry forth that legacy and make these changes so that we do have a better world. Because the way it ex presents itself now, it needs to change. And I agree with what you're saying, and I think it slowly is changing today. I mean, I think the the kids of our generation, even kids you know younger than us, like. Like you were saying, they don't really listen. Like my siblings, for example, you'll tell them to do something and they will immediately do the exact opposite, whatever you say. And I think it's because people don't like being told what to do. People like to be free. They like to act on their own free will. And I think that the government has had their hands, like they've restricted the way that people have lived their lives for so long that people are finally like awakening and they're, they're saying, you know what, this is just garbage, you know. And I think... Uh, a perfect example of somebody who is um, not only trying but succeeding in changing the world is Elon Musk, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about him. He's kind of a he's kind of a big deal, but he uh, you know he's he's changing the whole the whole transportation thing. Like his goal is to make transportation free with his electric cars, which he's saying all you need to do is buy the the Tesla, buy a Tesla, and you can drive it forever for free because he's building these um, charging stations where it'll charge your car in like 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and they're going to run on solar panels, so it'll be free. And so his goal is to make travel free, to make living free as far as energy goes, where you're going to have free electricity. And I just think it's it's these, you know, these are humongous steps, and the human society, you know, when's the last time that people have changed the way they traveled besides going from a buggy to a car and from cars to airplanes now or from boats to airplanes? 
So, I mean, those are huge jumps. But when in the last 60 years have people come up with ideas like this where how can we get rid of gas? You know, gas is so expensive. And these gas companies have been in control of travel for so, so long, you know. And it's it's cool to see that change. And I think in five to ten years, people aren't going to be using gas-powered anything anymore. It'll all be electric, and it's going to be free. Uh, Well, I'm going to say maybe, like, maybe not five to ten, but hopefully, like, hopefully I want to see, like, uh, maybe gas-powered things be obsolete by maybe 20 years. Cause well, it could come sooner because, look, the, the Tesla's already out. Yeah. And if these other big car companies don't switch, like, they're going to lose all their business. No one's yeah. going to buy gas-powered cars anymore. I mean, if you can save 100 bucks a month on gas, that basically makes your car payment, you know? Yeah, I want, uh, it'd be great if by 2030 or so uh, we have just electric-based cars. Huh? Well, it could come faster. Yeah. I mean, look, look in the last 10 years how much technology is transformed like yeah. we have computers in our pockets now like that's amazing yeah this wasn't this thing wasn't uh here when like the uh smartphones and here when i was in like grade school we had like just the regular nokia indestructible nokia phones yeah. well and now we can talk to people for free yeah. that live on the complete opposite side of planet earth like yeah, it, if i were to you know travel back in time 30 years ago you know when you were growing up and I held one of these little devices in my hand. What would you What would you think? Like, well, it's just like the first computer for my office. I was in 1988 or 1989, and I can remember saying to everybody in my office, "This is a waste. These are absolute waste. What What good are they going to do for us? Where there's no direction for it to go? Look how wrong I was. Look at what has happened over the decades since. It's What's going to happen in the next few decades? We're going to be overwhelmed by what takes place. We're just going to be unbelievable finding things that we never dreamed would ever happen. So it'll be exciting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think the reason this is happening now is because, like I mentioned earlier, people are awakening. They're becoming more aware of who they are, their existence, than they have a desire to to change things you know they realize that hey this has been run like this for x amount of years and this sucks like this is terrible i don't know how people have just lived this way you know if we were to go back 60 years ago 70 years ago we'd be like wow i don't even know how people are living this isn't even living this is scraping this is working your butt off so you can barely live and i don't know if it was very fun back then i mean i don't think i go a day without being on the internet you know, I consume and I do my work. Like, I work from my internet, so from my computer. I do that every single day. But I think it's just amazing in 10 years how far technology's come. And in another 10, I mean, you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's it's super exciting. I remember uh, back then, um, like, um, even video games, they're just like in the eighties. They're just like two D, big blocky pixels. Now you look at today, and they're like uh, full three D uh, humans. Like, and they're pretty much like movies. They can like you can pretty much recreate an entire movie with a video game. Yeah. Oops. And like pretty much playing that movie, you like 
in like uh in like Star Wars you can have a uh Luke not get his hand cut off like you could uh find a tech maybe like get a technique that uh defeats Darth Vader like in episode 5 well and it's like VR now yeah. you can submerge yourself within this video game Again, yeah, yeah, VR technology back in like the '90s when they released the Virtual Boy, that was like the worst thing ever. Like it was just pure red and like it was just like a uh, 2D and like it didn't feel 3D. Like it didn't. It was more 3D than virtual and gave you a headache. But then you put on VR and like it's full color, it's immersive, uh, and you feel like you're like in that situation or in like in the game. No, it's it's changing, man. Technology is changing. It's amazing. So, but I think it's even going to go beyond. I think VR is going to go beyond just the video game industry. Yeah. You know what I think is amazing is the entertainment industry in general. Like thirty years ago, back in the eighties, if you wanted to be an actor, what did you have to do? You had to go through you know big companies. You had to get to Hollywood. You had to you know get on the big screen. You had to act in plays. You had to build your way up and get noticed. You had to do the same with music. You had to, you know, be a great musician with a great band, and you had to go out there and play, and hopefully a record label or a producer would would see you and, and catch your eye, and then they would sign you. Like, you had to go through all these big companies, and now you don't have to do that. Like, the, I think the, the line between, like, Hollywood, you know, the big entertainment and, like, independent like what we do or what you know people do as far as filmmaking and making their own music like you don't need a producer anymore you don't need hollywood to make uh, a nice film or a great song like because of computers you can do anything there's it's just it's limitless and i think that's what is amazing and i think this is what's taken the power away from these top dogs that have ran the world for so long is people's ability to create on their own now you don't need the big guys anymore and i, I don't know i just that's what, the, that's what the big guys are trying to destroy the internet yeah well how many times in the last year has youtube been attacked youtube is one of the biggest um content creating platforms out there like for people like us you know there's millions upon millions of independent creators out there on youtube and how many times did youtube get attacked a lot like a lot a lot like they lost a ton of freaking money because of the wall street journal which is dying yeah i mean i don't read the news i don't watch the news print media is probably gonna be gone in like the next decade like uh when the like it's mostly old older people who buy newspapers because like but thing about newspapers that everything you can find in the newspaper like even the local newspaper in like a small town here, it's online. It's all online, and, and it's, it's online, online the day of. Like yeah. if I can go watch a high school basketball game, and then after the game's over, I can get online and see who won. You know, yeah. it didn't used to be that way. You used to had to to wait for it. And I think what another big thing that's the internet's done is they've changed how we we uh, get our news. You know, back then, you know, do you remember just listening to the radio all the time to get the news, and then eventually the TV? Like, how did it go back then for you guys? It was completely different. Uh, growing up, many times in a community, there was one channel. Uh, the news was only a half hour long. Uh, 
the the entertainment was completely different. Uh, for example, uh, dances are very common uh, after high school sporting events or going to sporting events were very common. Uh, it was it was completely a completely different generation then. Uh, there's so much more to offered today than there was back then uh, uh, and I think as you're going to see with your children a complete change from what we see today uh, there's going to be changes I remember reading an article not too long ago on the internet where they predicted that within the next 15 years the work week would drop down to maybe 15 to 16 hours a week from the regular 40 hour and I'm saying how is that possible how can they do that how can people sustain themselves and that was I wasn't the only one asking those questions and the person that wrote the article said the reason they can is because look at the cost of food look at the cost of energy look at the cost of housing you know we no longer have fees to give to banks you know, a lot of the fees are taken away. A lot of the government services we pay so much through through taxes will no longer be needed. There's going to be an evolution of some kind that you guys will bring about. I don't know how it's going to take place, but I truly believe it will take place. Watch and see if what he said is true. That's the thing. I didn't know you had to pay fees to the bank before because when I opened a bank account, uh, I kept all my money in there and they didn't take any of it. The, the fees are more like associated with like, uh, transferring money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't take any of that today. Well, if you go like if you go deposit money from an ATM, they'll charge you for that. If you want to transfer money from your bank account to say your dad's or brothers or whoever they'll charge a fee for that if you go get a loan they charge interest you know i which i, I didn't know how much you actually pay on interest for a loan but i got a loan for my car for 6500 bucks and i put a thousand down so my loan was just 5500 bucks but over the course of four years i would be paying over 10 grand for that 5500 dollar loan so it's literally double and i'm like oh my gosh that is a scam in and of itself charging me double for borrowing half of it you know and i'm just yeah i agree i think the banks need to i don't know cut out the middleman you know and i think that's where it is going we don't need it anymore you know your generation is going to find ways to do this that's what i think is going to happen you're going to see what you're seeing with all these fees and other things that are not needed and find ways and avenues to bypass it and because of that, look at what's happened in Sears and Twin Falls. Who would ever dream that Sears would close? And it's closing. How many Sears stores or Kmart? Did you ever dream a Kmart store would ever close? Look how many Kmart stores are closing. Watch retail business and what happens to it. There's going to whole complete revolution with regard to retail marketing that's taken place well, and I've seen that too I've done like a lot of research on on uh, what's called drop shipping because like I'm a big like online shopper because it's so much cheaper you know I'll go to Walmart and I'll see a chair for 150 bucks and then I'll get online and I'll see that same chair for like 
80 bucks and that's all these retail you know walmart groceries this is all these these stores are doing you know macy's jc penny they're just they're buying clothes for cheaper and then they're selling them for a butt ton of money so i mean this yeah this is why retail is going to be changed these companies are going to shut down because you you can get it so much cheaper you can buy it online i mean i can't I don't ever go shopping anymore. I always buy everything I need online. You can buy anything and everything you can dream of online. And with Amazon doing the whole grocery thing, you're going to be able to buy your groceries and have them shipped to your house. Like, you won't have to go shopping anymore. It's all done via online. Walmart, they also have, like, a um, a thing where you can, like, select items uh, and, like, for your lo- and, like, go to your local Walmart and, like, they'll have them ready for you and go pick them up. <clears throat> so yeah like walmart like the if, if they like if their retail uh shuts down they they have like a big online store that they'll just that they'll try to compete with amazon with they're like i think they're trying to also compete with Am- amazon in the uh the online uh front yeah which i mean if i shop from walmart it is online so. yeah and usually Nine times out of ten, Walmart is cheaper than Amazon. Amazon's really expensive. Yeah. But I, I think the, the cool thing about all of this changing is it's going to free up people to do what they love. I think that's one thing that our human, the human race struggles with is they'll spend, you know, from their 20 till their 65 just working until they can retire. Like I, I've been told that so many times in my life just – you need to find a stable job to where you can work till you're 65 and retire with a great retirement. And I'm just thinking, why, you know, why would I go work a job that I'm not really interested in just so I can retire? That's 45 years of my life that I would just be slaving away at something that I, you know, wasn't really that into. And I'm saying, well, what if you die tomorrow? Would you be happy with where you are today? And I, I guarantee you 90, 90%, if not more, of the world population would say, no, I regret this. I wish I would have done that. Or, you know, I wish I would have followed my passions. Or I, would, I wish I wouldn't have given up on what I was pursuing. Or I wish I would have taken this more serious or spent more time with my family. And I think that people will start truly living if they think that way, which I'm not saying, oh, you could die tomorrow, so go you know light up a place or go blow all your money i'm not saying that i'm saying just take every moment that you have and evaluate it and say is this what i want to be doing you know you can go to any fast food place or go into walmart and see how unhappy these employees look and it's like they're stuck they can't do anything else because they need to make money so they can live you know which i mean i believe everybody has equal opportunity you got to I just think that people need to find what they love and to do that. Like nobody ever got rich by doing something that they didn't enjoy. Yeah. That's just not how it works. You know, your charisma and your attitude and enthusiasm really plays a big part in um, your profession, whatever you're doing. Like I- I'm sure you've seen doctors that hate their jobs and they're not, they don't work well. They're really ignorant to their patients. I mean, do, you, do you see that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you see that occur. But a lot of times it's not because of medicine. It's because they're just unhappy. That they, it wouldn't matter if it was in medicine or dentistry or an accountant or teaching uh, or construction. It doesn't matter. They're just unhappy, unhappy with their lives and happy with what they're doing. Uh, 
For example, you two are going to see a time where there's going to be a change. And you will have time to pursue your interests, pursue the things you like, whether it be, you know, writing, which I do some writing. Uh, it could also it could be poetry. It could be, you know, art. It could be uh, uh, developing programs, you know, like games or what, whatever it would be that they love to do. And why not be happy on this earth? Why not find ways to make life better? Why not find ways to help not only our individual community here, but maybe all communities? Why not work to where we don't have so much dependency and, uh, on governments and, and regulating uh, regimens of, of some kind? Uh, and I think you're going to see that occur. Wouldn't it be better if we had just a couple of rules like let everybody believe they, how they want to believe as long as it doesn't hurt anybody? Or maybe we could say, let's, let's just help each other. And instead of having the government make a law where we're mandated to help somebody, we just do it because it's the proper thing to do. You know, I think you're going to see things like that occur in the future. I have great hope for that to occur. Although the establishment is going to be against it, and they're going to do everything they can and everything in their power to not lose that control, not to lose that power, not to be able to create the finances that they want to create. But you'll overcome that. I really believe that. And I, I think the goal to all of that is, like you said, like people need to find what they enjoy find what makes them happy and to do that like you know i was always told that you know like like i mentioned earlier you just you gotta do this you know go to school become this so you could make good enough you know it was always just good enough and i'm thinking well why is it just good enough instead of like being better like doing what makes you happy and if everybody like would use their talents and their god-given abilities and their what they love to do and did that like i think the world would be a better place people would actually they wouldn't be afraid i think that's the biggest thing that holds people back is fear they're afraid to they're afraid to pursue whatever it is they want to do they're afraid to take those initial steps forward they're afraid to try they're afraid to put themselves out there you know if you're if you always live in fear like that's a waste of that's a waste of time that's a waste of of a life what are you afraid of people fear what hasn't even happened and it mean it doesn't mean it'll ever happen, you know. People are afraid. Well, if I do this, then X, Y, and Z, you know, that person will make fun of me, or what? If, what if I fail? Or it's always they they're afraid of what's not even there. It doesn't even exist yet, and they're afraid of it. And I don't know. I just which I think it is changing slowly but surely. I think there's a lot of role models, especially out there on the internet, that are really trying to inspire people. And I think that's what's cool. That's kind of I think our goal in general is to inspire people to become better and to change the world i think that's what really the the overlaying theme is is change the world you know make the world a better place not just for yourself but for everybody but yeah i it is changing it's coming slowly but surely one thing you can encourage as an older man now, that I can encourage the young people. It's just the exact thing you said, Skyler. 
is that do not have the fear. Do not, do not have that fear. Really believe that you can accomplish. Uh, it's surprising how positive attitude, lack of fear, some people call it faith if you're religious, or some people, if maybe it's cause of just positive thinking. You truly believe that. You can accomplish things that you never dreamed that you would ever be able to accomplish. I want to encourage the young people. Step out. Figure out how to solve these problems. You can do it. Don't be afraid. And whatever you do, ignore the negativity that you'll hear surrounding what you want to try to accomplish. You can do it. I, I have faith in you guys that you can do it. So I, I would continue, like these broadcasts you're giving are excellent. Continue to spread the word. Continue to encourage and continue to try to improve. Let's make this a better world. There's too many people out there that, want, that are greedy, selfish, or in control, want to have the power. You can eliminate that. You can take that away from them almost immediately if you work together as a group with common goals to accomplish. I, I completely agree with that 100%. If people really like would realize that they do have 100% control of their life, their decisions, you know, where you are in life is you're there because because of you, not because of your parents or not because of, you know, whatever you're there because you, that's what you chose to be. You know, somebody that has worked in the fast food business for 20 years and they've been hate, they've hated their job ever since. Well, you've had 20 years to change your course, your direction of where you want to go and and you didn't. You know, people have the decisions. They have their own choices and I think like we said, it's fear if people can overcome that. That's when you can start seeing the changes in yourself and the changes in life and I think there's a lot of smart people out there. There's kids out there that are changing the world. I read this article of this, I think he's 13 years old, and he's a quantum physicist, this, this kid, and he's learning how to take energy from the air and convert it into energy that we can use, which is absolutely amazing. You know, a 13-year-old kid is doing this, so there really are no limits. The only limits are, is what, what you think they are, you know. You take this energy, you just look at the molecules that surround us and the amount of energy it takes that they produce just by movement alone. And we don't know how to harness that. Or if we do, it hasn't been revealed to us how to harness it. Uh, at any rate, there are so many things a person can choose to make this world a better place. Fix on that. It doesn't matter what it is. Every one of us have talents fix on it let's do it everyone can work together and they can make it a better place that's in even in the field of medicine too well, so. I think it reaches above and beyond so but I think it is it's super exciting so, but um, you did you did mention that you do some writing of your own like like for for those of you who don't know he actually is an author and he's written his own books and I've actually got a uh, I've got a copy of, is this the, the first book you've ever wrote, like, or first book you've published? Yes, it's the first 
book I've written and and the first one I published. Uh, I, I I actually took a number of years to write it, and I published it in 2008. One of the difficult parts when you publish a book and when you're a physician is time. Your publisher wants you to go to book signings. They want to have you do television interviews. They want you to do radio interviews, and it takes a huge amount of time. So with the subsequent books I've written, I haven't, I haven't published them, even though there's been a couple publishers want to publish them because I just don't have the time but maybe now that I'm semi-retired I'll be able to do more. This this particular one is about it's called the Apocalypse series. The first book's called The Last Plague um, and it does talk about has kind of some biblical um, information in it because I took a lot of the writings from the book of Revelations which I've studied a lot. Um, but really what I really did with writing is just took an interesting background. I just took an interesting background. To me, the interesting background was the last days, the apocalypse. What can happen because of just something you said about the flu virus? You know, I, I to this day, I don't know why the... Um, in this community, I've always been over the Infectious Disease Committee of the community. And I've always wondered why they haven't taken like the, something like the avian flu or the Ebola virus and spread it throughout our country, which would be way cheaper to do than to attack it with military arsenal. You know. And maybe someday it'll happen. I, I don't know, but we have some very, very bad germs out there, and that's what triggered this first book of the series, uh, of the Apocalypse series, and it's called The Last Plague. Uh, and it took a number of years to write. Mostly I did it when I was on call at night and would be awakened, and I couldn't get back to sleep is when I usually wrote. There's now, I've finished three of them in that series. I've written another book called Gobel Fango, which is a historical novel about a black hero that came from, from South Africa to the United States at the start of the Civil War. And it's a true story. And I was told about the story by my grandma, uh, who, whose dad was a business partner to this this guy uh, and so I, I wrote wrote a book about him too this is do this because I love it I really love to write it's one of my passions okay just like for example music is passion for others I love music too uh, there's there, er, er, other people have sculptures of passion others have art some have video games as their passion Lots of passions out there, but this is one that I love. So, what would be some advice you have for like upcoming creators, authors, musicians, uh, content creators, sculptors? You know, what would be like some advice you could give them, especially like somebody that is has an idea for a book that they want to write, but they just don't know what to do. Like, what would be some advice you could give? 
I, I bought a, a lot of books to read about it, uh, to how to promote the book. I'm not so much into the promoting anymore. I'm more into the writing. Give it out there to people to read if they want to read it. Uh, but it's, it's um, the, the key is believing in yourself. So many people, when I went to medical school, told me that I would never get into medical school. There's only two people that believed in me. One was my mom and one was my father-in-law. And both of them, they were the only two. And they continued to encourage me every time I would be turned down. they say, don't give up, let's do it again next year. And after three years, I was able to get into school. You have to believe in yourself. You can't give up. There's times you're going to be discouraged. There's times you want to give up. Times you just don't think you can do it. But you can, and you get better at it. As you do it, jump into it with both feet. And as you do it, you'll become accomplished. You'll become polished. You'll know exactly what to do. It's almost like, and I don't want to sound extra, extra religious, but it's almost like somebody surrounding you or somebody's with you to help guide you and direct you in the ways. Because as I write this book, I will go from chapter to chapter and wonder what's going to happen in the next chapter. I'll have an overall view of where I want to go. But all of a sudden, some idea will come to me, and I'll say, where did this ever come from? And that happens in all things that you do. Yeah, I think uh, musicians call that like catching lightning in a bottle. I think, yeah, I think everybody's inspired. And um, whether you call it God, the universe, your intuition, you know, <coughs> whatever you want to call that power, it exists. And I'm sure everybody's seen it in their lives, especially people that uh, have goals or, or something that they're creating. They're like, wow, like, where did this come from? I know for me, um, before I started getting into like video producing, video editing, like filming videos, it was when was it? It was like three years ago, wasn't it, Thane? Yeah. But we were just we were sitting in in uh, the basement, and uh, it was like two in the morning. Yeah. And we just had this like idea pop into our heads, like, hey, what? Why don't we make videos? Why don't we create things? Yeah. You know, it's just like. I don't know. It just we've never even discussed it, thought about it or anything. It just like boom, there it was. I think Thane actually brought it up and you know, because of because we acted upon that idea, you know, we are where we are now. We've got a studio, we've got tons of equipment, ideas and yeah, I think it's just when you act upon inspiration that you're given, that's when you can truly create you know, beauty. You can create amazing things. It's just yeah. I think the number one thing that stops people is, like you were saying, is they give up. You know, they'll try it for a month, they'll try it for a few months, they'll try it for a year, and they don't see any success, or they just don't think they're good enough, and they quit. But those, you know, anybody that's ever gotten anywhere in life, they never gave up. Like, there's a, a guy named Huey Lewis, and he's he was in a very famous band called Huey Lewis and the News, but I was watching this story on him, and he was actually touring in his band for 15 years before they finally got picked up by a record label to go out and play and they became really huge and I'm like 15 years you know living your life 15 years living show to show like that's how he would pay for stuff is like he barely made enough money by playing gigs that he could live but 
in an interview, he said, this is what I wanted to do. And I told myself I wasn't going to do anything else besides play music. And I don't care if I, you know, do this until I die. You know, I will make sure that I play music and I'm going to make a lot of money doing it. And he did. But it took 15 years. So, like, like you're saying, if if you have passion for something and you want to turn that into a living or you know whatever you can't give up like you have to keep going if it takes you 15 20 30 years like continue to do whatever it is because you can't quit you know just because somebody says oh you're not good enough you know who are they if you know if they're not you or if they're not where you want to be why would you even listen to them yeah uh um, the thing about making videos is that I've always wanted to make videos when I first saw, like, people on the internet, like, review movies and stuff, like, one person was the Nostalgia Critic, uh, he was a, like, when I watched him, I was like, wow, I want to make videos like that, but when I watched Nostalgia Critic Day, he hasn't really aged very well, but, like, JonTron, that's, like, those are the type of videos I want to make, like, He's like my favorite uh, YouTuber, and I'm like, yeah, I want to make vi- like videos that good, and uh, like maybe they won't be as like well produced, but like I want to like make like um, videos like kind of like in his early days. Like if I can just make those, I'd be fine, uh, and put my own style on it. But, yeah, like, I've always wanted to make videos. And and now you're doing it, right? I I think that's what's cool. And it's kind of like how um, you mentioned that the more you do something, the better you get. You know, when you first graduated from medical school, you know, and you went out and started performing on patients, I'm sure you weren't, like, as good as you are now. But after doing something for so long, you get amazing at it and it just becomes a part of you. You don't even think you're just like, yeah, this is how it is. And I know how to do it. And it just clicks. And I think that's, what's cool is if you spend enough time doing whatever it is you do, like you will become the absolute very best at it. And which I think that should be your goal with whatever it is. Like if you're going to be a a sports athlete or a musician or you're going to be in retail or you're going to be you know whatever whatever you're going to be be the best at it don't be mediocre like be the absolute very best at whatever it is you do you know how can people can uh they can become rich off being you know working being the garbage guy you know first the the guy starts out as he worked in the shop of the garbage company and then he became a driver and then he decided that hey i know how all this is i could start my own company and then becomes wealthy off being a garbage truck guy like anybody can do they can i don't know i just think you can become rich if that's your goal which i don't think it's your goal but you should be happy but if you do what you love and you're very passionate about it you can make a living doing it you know i i fully believe that i read this story one time of this lady who she was working at a coffee shop and she had three kids and she was a single mom and she was like barely making any money but one thing she loved was scrapbooking so what she did is she decided to make her own scrapbook supplies and sell it and she was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year because she decided to start doing that like that was her passion was scrapbook so she found a way to make money scrapbooking and now she makes you know all the money she could ever dream of scrapbooking so so uh 
more about the book um like uh can you like give us like a little like plot uh synopsis like a like a what the plot is exactly sure it's um it 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 is a book that actually is broken up into various sections the the characters are relatively unique i purposely made the characters the way they are because they people can identify with at least one of them they they so everybody can identify the, the hardest part was to find a story uh, the whole key for writing a book was to help people to change to look at the way a person's living their life as a character and see them evolve and see them change and what they can say to themselves is I can do that I can make those changes too I can become like that they did it I can do it and so the 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 synopsis is about these characters uh, that are loosely fit family that do various things in life um, it, the story starts way back in various phases of life uh, there's there's let me tell you some of the characters okay maybe that would help you twin sisters of Jesus Christ are two characters John the beloved is a character um, a guy by the name of Indian is a character. A priest by the name of Pepe is a character. Two doctors, one black and one white, are characters. Their wives are characters. All of them have unique problems. What is the story about? It's a story about a plague. It was actually created by the government. It actually evolved into the plague that we're familiar with and that plague is AIDS out of that AIDS virus came another virus that sterilized women so they could not have babies all of a sudden we introduce another character in the plot they're called Sprudice Sprudice are people that are evil that exist on the earth today Who's off? Who is their boss? It's Lucifer. So we introduce Lucifer into the, but that is only into the second book. So that just gives you an example of what we talk about and what we show to the people. But the purpose of the story is an interesting story because it talks about things that are on the edge. It's almost like a fantasy. And that's what people have told me. This is almost like science fiction. But everything that I've put into the book has come from rumors. I'll give you an example. As you know, uh, now the Mormons believe in their book called the Book of Mormon. That when Jesus, after his resurrection, he came, according to them, to the Americas to visit the people here. And while he was here, he told them that one of his apostles did not die. And that apostle was John the Beloved. All I did was take that rumor or that little piece that somebody said and I put it into the book as one of the characters. I've done that hundreds of times with a whole bunch of different things. 
you talk about inner earth and people live in inner earth you know Admiral Byrd talked about that okay you talk about people who have had near-death experiences and what has happened to them you'll find things referred to that in the book too so what I've done is made it on the edge of belief it really would take um, a little special belief to actually believe that everything I said in there is true and followed the course of the book of revelations and a number of other books that I've read and implied that and showed their journey their journey not from the, from actually from the time of Adam uh, all the way up to present day and actually right now in the third book we are in the year 2050 that's where we're at so and I still have several more books to write to finish the end but that's kind of a synopsis of what it's about so uh, if people want to buy the book uh, where they can they buy it it's cheaper if you just go on Amazon and order electronically like the the, the audio copy. yeah the oh if it, yeah it's the, it's the, the it's, it's only like a dollar 95 or something okay. like yeah. that and you just you write you can read it off your phone, phone. Yeah. Uh, have you done like an audiobook of it like you do a voice did the first one okay so this so, one the first one but i and i've done the second one but i haven't i only <coughs> have the rough draft so. How many books are you planning to write in this series? Well, I was just going to write five, but I, I'm so far, it's so involved. I'm afraid there's going to be more of of the apocalypse series. Mm -hmm. And you said you have three completed right completed. now. Completed. Mm -hmm. And you're working on the fourth one. Mm -hmm. Right on. Well, this is the uh, the book, the Last Plague. And uh, I'm actually going to be giving this copy away, so um, if any of you guys want it, just leave a, a comment down below saying why you want it, and I'll actually ship this to you guys for free. We'll get in contact via social media. So, But, uh, yeah, it's, I've actually read the book, and it's, it's really good. It's, it's, it's one of those books where when you start reading, like it really gets you thinking, and then you can't put it down. I mean, I remember the first time I picked it up and started reading it, I read, it was like 150 pages of it. I mean, it's... How how long is the book? Like five, four hundred? I think it's like between three or four hundred. Yeah, it's like four, four hundred and forty pages. Mm -hmm. But anyway, no, it, it's a really good book. It, it really got me thinking. But I actually started writing because I read this book. I started writing my own stuff. So, but no, it's, it's really cool. So yeah, if like I said, if you guys would like this copy, I'll be giving this one away. So just leave a comment down below why you want it and uh we'll announce the winner and we'll get in contact with you guys so well i don't read books so i guess i'll check out the audiobook because when i try to read a book i'm like words uh, the the audiobook is my voice so if i hope that's okay that's fine yeah. i know you so uh yeah i can consume audiobooks way better because i listen to podcasts work so audiobooks um but i listen to podcasts because they're free because you have to buy audiobooks unless someone uploaded them on youtube and just yeah there's there's tons of audiobooks yeah. on youtube 
Yeah, we're going to update it on YouTube. So now that I've retired, I can promote this a little bit better. And make it. Yeah. I'm not really interested in making money on this. I'm really interested in if people want to listen to it, if they want to read it. That's the joy of an author, is being able to to present something that people enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, how long have we gone? We've been going for about an hour. So, we have, uh, I guess, uh, there's a lot more we can talk about. Uh, we'll probably have, uh, Dr. Page on for uh, another episode since yeah, we have a lot more to ask yeah. him. I'm sure you guys will be seeing him a lot more yeah. often. So there's there's tons of uh, other topics that we'd love to talk about. I know we kind of jumped around and talked about a lot today, but no, it was pretty exciting. I, I guess just the, the last thing that uh, we wanted to talk about was there was a video that, uh, that we, uh, me and Dr. Page filmed. Uh, it was around Christmas time and... Uh, there's there wasn't really a whole lot of explanation. I mean, there if you go watch the video, which maybe we'll show a little clip here, but uh, if you go watch the video, it explains more about it. But we kind of wanted to just talk to him about um, why he what, you know why he wanted to do the video, what the video actually is, and uh, just get a little bit more um, info about it. So, well, it the the video started when my wife and I. Uh, went to, uh, you know, like one of these conventions where they try to improve our marriage and our relationship. It was a three-day event, and it was in Salt Lake City. Um, a couple by the name of Kirk and Kimberly Duncan were the ones that put it on. And at the end of their three days, they did a little dance-like thing. It was like a pantomime dance. And it was demonstrating to the people at the conference that they're there that uh, in this type of activity, all the things that they had presented in the last three days. As I was watching this, uh, I decided to take, take their uh, dance or this pantomime that they were doing to music and apply it to the subject of love and I wanted to demonstrate this through the grandkids and we have 29 grandkids so on Christmas Eve or the actually it was two days before Christmas we met together and I showed the grandkids how to do this modified uh, Duncan dance demonstrating love and what it what this did was it showed how a person can sometimes be lost and can't find their way. And that's what they showed in this pantomime to music. And then all of a sudden they get this thought that comes to their mind. And as they looked up into the heavens, they see a seed. And they take the seed and they bring it down and they put it in their hand. And then all of a sudden what they do is they realize this is the seed of love. And so they nurture this seed. They bring in forces to make that love stronger. And this is what the pantomime showed. And eventually this, they, they intensify and strengthen that love to a point that they have it 
Christ in their, in their hands. But then they realize that they can't control that love. It grows to a point that it explodes. And that seed of love grows and grows. And not only is established with your family and given to your family, but all of a sudden you have that love for your friends. And then people you don't even know. And then all of a sudden it extends to plants and animals and trees and everything on earth as well as people. And then all of a sudden you realize that love is not limited just to earth, but it's, limit, it's, it's also given to the stars, the sun, the moon, the heavens, the clouds, all things that surround us. And then when you realize how strong it is, you know that you want to keep that love. So you gather it together and you place it in your heart. And that's what the pantomime showed. And that's what I wanted the grandkids to, to demonstrate to their parents. Why? Because I wanted the grandkids to say to their parents, this is a way that I love you. And that's what the whole process was, is just to do that. Um, I have a... A deep feelings for this uh, subject of love. I think when you guys talk about when you talk about changing the world, changing your life, accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, recognize one thing that love is a universal law. If you want to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish, learn to love. It'll come automatically. It's almost like you talk and use that universal law that exists throughout the universe to bring about what your desires are. It just takes place. The only way you can prove this is you have to do it yourself. If you don't do it yourself, I don't want you to believe my words. I want you to know it yourself that this is how it can be accomplished. So uh, that is why I made the video. I wanted to leave this as a kind of a legacy that they would know that their grandpa feels that the most important thing that you can do in this lifetime is love. And that's why I did it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, love is what makes the world go around. Like, it's not like the, the ooey-gooey love, like you're madly in love with someone, but I think it's just your um, your feelings. Like, you care for for all life in general, not just for human life, but like you're saying, plants, trees, animals, everything. Like, everything is energy. Everything is all connected. And, yeah, when you give off love... Things respond to that. Like I saw, the, I think it was the MythBusters. They did a, uh, um, well, I don't even know what you call it, like a test. They did like a, uh, um, a test where they took a plant, and they, they like slapped the plant. They screamed at it. They yelled at it, and they hooked the plant up to like some sort of gram where it was like measuring, somehow measuring the plant's emotions. And uh, anyway, when the plant was getting slapped and yelled at, it was responding very, like, it was responding, but it wasn't good. Like, the plant was, I, I don't know, it was, like, off the charts. But when they treated the plant with love and with kindness, the, the plant responded, and 
was very calm, very relaxed. And anyway, I guess the point of that was to show that, yeah, all life has feelings. All life responds to things. And when we treat things with love and respect, like that, I don't know, that's like, like how you were saying, that is like one of the greatest powers, if not the greatest power out there is love for things, you know, whatever it may be. I remember not too long ago, uh, a lady walked into the uh, office and she was crying. And I said, well, what's wrong? Why, why, what's happened? And she said, there's been a death. And I've seen this over and over again where a husband has died or a child has died or a relative or friend. And I said, who died? And she said, my dog. And I've heard this over and over again. How many times have I heard someone say that losing this dog was like losing a child? That's what they would say. You could see the love that this person had for that animal. I've seen it with horses. I've seen it with cats. One of the questions I oftentimes ask is, could you talk to the dog? What do you think the answer is? Yeah, you'd say yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. Every one of them would say, I could communicate with the dog. And I'm thinking, why do you communicate with the dog? And I've even asked them that. And you know what the answer's always been? Hmm? They think about it. And they said, I think it's because I love the dog. And it is. It's the same with... Um, for those that are Christians and those that believe that, that Jesus Christ performed miracles, how is it possible that he could put hands over somebody's eyes and say, you will now be able to see? Well, if those cells in those eyes knew that Jesus Christ loved them, why would they not heal the eyes? If Jesus needed to walk on water to get to a ship, why would he not say to the water, could you hold me up till I get to the, to the boat? And why would they not do it if, if they knew that he loved them? We don't understand completely all the factors about love. But we do know this, that you can accomplish many, many things we are not able to accomplish yet through love. It's just we haven't reached that level and understanding to do so, is my opinion anyway. So that's one of the reasons I presented this and I want to make copies for all the grandkids so they will know when I'm no longer here, they can go back and say, Grandpa really thought this was really important, because it is. I think uh, unconditional love, like how you're talking about, is it's um, it's also a way for us to get past the whole fact of like seeing people and judging them, you know. And it doesn't matter who it is. Like if you have unconditional love, the the drunk guy in the streets is just as important to you as you know your own kids or your family or whatever. And I know most people are gonna say like, well, I don't even know the drunk guy. I don't really care about him. And it's not necessarily that. It's just when you have unconditional love, you have compassion for people, you don't judge them. You know, you don't see this drunk guy, but you see his potential. You can be like, well, you know, that guy may be a drunk now, but what in, you know, what if in 10 years he's 
you know, the president of the United States. And, I, like, just the, the whole aspect of unconditional love and not judging people, I think, is something that every single person on planet Earth, including myself, is something that we could get better at. I know there's a lot of times where, you know, I'll be doing whatever or watching TV or videos or I'll hear something on the news where I just immediately judge that person. I'm like, well, no, that guy's a piece of crap or I think she's wrong. You know, and it's, I don't think our, the, the life we live is necessarily about right and wrong. You know, I don't really believe in right and wrong. I just believe in there's things that serve us and then there's things that don't. And so when we have that unconditional love, you can look at somebody who just committed a huge murder and you can say, you know what? You know, that guy may have goofed. He may have just ruined several people's lives, like took it from him. But, I mean, the the being of, you know, the creator, God, the universe, whatever you want to say, created that person and still loves them just the same. You know, if we truly are children of the creator, you know, think about, you know, I don't have any kids yet, but if you think about your children that you have, you know, if one of your chi- one of your kids, like, falls over, you don't walk up to the kid and say, wow, you screwed up, and then kick him. You don't do that. You help him back up. And so I think, yeah, this is where brotherly love, this is where the love, the unconditional love comes in, is where this is when the world's going to change. When people can stop seeing the world as separate, they'll stop seeing themselves separate from whoever when we can all start seeing ourselves as one we're all connected and we can all get the bigger picture get the vision of hey you know we should band together like this is who we are we aren't supposed to be separate it's when we're separated that we're weak you know it's like uh my dad would always say we're like drops from the ocean when we're by ourselves we can't really do anything i mean yeah you can but when you're a part of that ocean, when you're connected, you are way more powerful. So, you know, I, I completely agree. The day the world changes is the day that love is unleashed. And I'm talking about unconditional love. That there's, you don't need something in order to love somebody or to love this thing. You just love it because. Because it is what it is and you love it for what it is. You're not, you don't want to change it. You're not trying to destroy it or mock it or whatever. You just accept it and you move on. You love whatever that thing is, that person, that individual, and you move on. You just love it for what it is. So. Yes. Uh, so a few minutes ago I tried to see if we're ending the podcast. That was a mistake, but I don't good. think we're – I don't know if we're done yet because – I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a professional on this thing. Oh, that's cool. We can wrap it up, but uh, but I guess we could end on uh, uh, I, I don't know what I was gonna say. See, I'm not professional when it comes to this stuff. It takes practice, and you know what? What's the definition of uh, professional? Well, I had a few questions. Uh, they're more comedic, but we can save them for next time. Well, we'll just give me one. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, How about if I give you one? Okay. What is the most funniest thing I've ever seen as a physician? How's that? Sure. Yeah, perfect. I remember one time that we had a gentleman who was in the hospital who um, mentally was not competent, okay? There was something wrong with him. We We didn't have a psychiatric unit at our hospital, 
So we had to keep him in the hospital until we could find some facility to take him and transfer him to that facility. While we were there getting him admitted and everything, uh, the hospital was on the ground floor. There was no second, third, or fourth. It was always just one floor. And at the end of each of the uh, halls, there was an exit door. Well, he stripped naked, and he went out the exit door, and he was running around naked out on the <laughs> on the lawn, which is snow covered. <clears throat> and the nurses were out chasing him, and they couldn't catch him. You know, he and so the doctors were just sitting there laughing. We were laughing the whole time because we couldn't stop laughing. But that was a funny event that took place as a physician several years ago. Was that the first time you saw someone naked? The first time I saw somebody naked uh, as a physician was actually when I lived in Mexico and I worked in a clinic down there. And uh, it wasn't me that was embarrassed. There were two of us. It was one of my friends who was a medical student too and it was the first time he saw. And he was so embarrassed that he covered his eyes up. And so, I, so that, but I actually acted normal. You know, I, I, I did okay, but he, he was really funny to watch him. And that, that happens all the time. Funny things like that happen all the time. I've seen a number of doctors pass out in surgery. What? <laughs> yeah, they'd see blood and guts, and, and all of a sudden they just toddle over, uh, passed out, and... They never lived it down after that. We would tease them for years over that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of funny things that that happen uh, you don't hear about. But uh, well, I'm sure that would scare people if they're like, "Oh yeah, my uh, my guy performing surgery on me passed out." <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't pass it on to the patients, but we we. We razzed him for, for quite a while over that. So even though you were a physician, did you have to actually do any surgery? Like, like, you know, like surgery can like count as like a, maybe like cutting, like a... Oh, you cut almost every day. Uh, when I first was in practice, um, I was probably in surgery every day. Oh, yeah. So you... you you do a lot of surgery. Nowadays, we don't do as much because um, costs are so high when you tie up two doctors yeah. rather than just have one. So, but I've done a lot of surgery. So, so one more question. Uh, like, you talked about how, like, people passed out and freaked out the sight of blood. And so, what's the most, like, gory or bloody thing, like most disturbing thing you've seen? Uh, I saw a near decapitation. Oh. You know, where the head was nearly taken off. It was just hanging on. Somebody ran into the back of a, a semi. Uh, so the person was dead? Yes. So did they, they brought the body to the hospital though? Mm -hmm. How come? Well, they just threw me in. Oh, uh, it was it was years ago. Uh, nowadays, I don't think they would. Uh, but then, we didn't have paramedics. We just had ambulance drivers. They 
they they weren't even EMTs. Uh, it would be different now. Yeah, I I think like nine one one wasn't that a setup in the eighties. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It wasn't available when I started That's, practice. Yeah, I thought it was like available like like you like before the fifties, but then I hear it's like was only available in like the around the 80s like wow that's i couldn't imagine today without 911 yeah it, it did all. make things much yeah. better when we did have 911 established yeah. that's true so uh <clears throat> it's probably more questions we can ask but uh we're kind of yeah we're running out of time so yeah, we'll save so, them for later but uh, uh Thank you for coming on. Sure, enjoyed yeah, being with you both. Yeah. Excited for the next time you come on. So. <laughs> That's okay. But uh, anyway, if you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to uh, give it a like. And, and like I mentioned earlier, if you would like the copy of The Last Plague, this is the, the first book in the Apocalypse series. If you would like it, uh, be sure to, if, yeah, if you would like me to send it to you, be sure to leave a comment down below saying why you want it and uh we will send it to you absolutely free so be sure to do that uh, yeah and the for was it, is it the first two books are available the uh, first three first three well there's four all together yeah. and they're also in 20 different languages too okay. yeah so if that interests you go uh go buy it on amazon and uh I'll, we'll put links to all this in the description so you can go check it out so, uh yeah but thank you for watching uh we'll see you in the next episode so keep it red uh don't don't do anything uh that would make you go visit this guy <laughs> no we don't want that yeah. see you later you've got mail Goodbye.